Hey everyone, this is Mac. Uh, the episode you're about to hear is about the 2012 movie Dread based on the comic book Judge Dread. We recorded it a couple weeks ago, but in light of recent events, specifically the murder of Tyree Nichols, we just wanted to give people a heads up. If you don't feel like listening to a podcast about a hyper-violent police force set in the future American wastelands, uh, we get it. We totally understand. We'll catch up with you next week. Take care. This week on Punch Mountain, good news. In the future, we have police that dispense justice and punishment. Bad news, they're also your lawyer. Take a hit of slow-mo because we're watching Dread. Punch Mountain starts now. Welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. I'm a duke. It's not determined by us, though, folks, but by the action gods themselves. We do not make the mountain, we just climb it. Get off my back. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined, as always, by my main man mountaineer, Mr. David Hada. David, how are you? Uh, Verily well, sir. (laughs) Are you here to buy wares? Uh, I like the British start to the show, David, because we're talking about the movie Dread, which is about a British comic book character. I guess, yeah. This takes place. Well, it takes place in in America. This is the least British thing I would have thought of. That uh, that's funny that you mentioned that, but yeah, it absolutely is. The fact that that this movie, this post-apocalypse, is by Brits, does that, that that offend you? Are you like, how dare you, British people, talk about our apocalypse? No, I like that. Well, you know, this uh, dread has been a conversation they've been having with us since the seventies. So they've been spending the last forty plus years going, "Hey guys, if you don't watch yourselves, this is what your future is going to look like." Hey guys, hey guys, hey guys. All right, fine. We're just going to make this an action movie. Look, we're already talking about it, ladies and gentlemen, and and, and non-binaries. Is we're talking about the movie Dread tonight, which came out when, David? Now, this came out in twenty twelve, not the nineteen ninety five version starring Sylvester Stallone. That was called Judge Dread. That's right. Yeah, this was called Dread or Dread three D depending on where and when you saw this thing. I saw it, uh, saw it at 2Ds. There was probably some marketing thought that went into this where it's like, you know what, that j- first Judge Dredd movie didn't do so great. Let's take the judge off of it. Maybe that'll sell it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's slap a 3D on it anyways. Let's let's just cancel everything out. Wait, so when did this movie come out? This one was 2012. 2012. And when did Avatar come out? 2009? Av- 2009, yeah. Okay. I was thinking maybe they were still riding that kind of like, you know, uh, 3D wave. Where that was like a gimmick for a while, right? It was a gimmick, and then it was a thing to save movies. Like, there's like, oh, this movie's not going to open very well. Let's slap a 3D on it. But yeah, I think this was kind of that category. I think they didn't really know what to do with this or how to market it, so they put it in 3D. But what are, you, what are your opening thoughts about this movie? Did you like it? I liked it a lot. I This movie came at just the right time. This movie was exactly what I needed. I was a little worried coming into this movie. I remember Judge Dredd being this sort of satirical comic about the militarization and the escalation of the police force. So I was worried that I was going to be too dumb for this movie, that I wasn't going to pick up on the themes or anything like that. This movie didn't care. This movie was the drug I needed. I just sat back and watched people get shot. No, this was great. How about you, Mac? What are, you, what are your open thoughts going into this one? Uh, this movie is so much fun and surprisingly focused. Because this movie is based on the comic strip Judge Dredd from the comic series 2000 AD, which I guess envisioned life in the far-flung future of the year 2000. I don't know. Never really, <laughs> didn't really read a whole lot of Judge Dredd. So you have you know these decades of comic books. This entire world is created. But this movie decided to focus on uh, one setting, this giant apartment complex in Mega City 1. And I think it was a better movie for it. I never saw the Sylvester Stallone version. I think the fact that Rob Schneider was in it, even at a young age, I was like, ah, it's not, that's not what you want it to be. But the funny thing is that Stallone 
uh, version was actually more comic accurate when it came it comes to the costume. Although Stallone all famously took off the helmet, which I don't think. Do you ever see Dredd's face in the comics? I I, I think famously you don't. But yeah, David, we talked about this being. Uh, this was filmed in 3D with 3D cameras because a lot of movies at the time they kind of did it after the fact. Like I remember the Avengers movies; they did some 3D uh, convergence or whatever on the special effects. But these actually bu- dusted off or busted out, whatever you want to say. The the cameras that dimi- uh, exist in that extra dimension. The classic bust and dust. Yeah, but Dread's also interesting because it's got some like throwback post-apocalyptic themes to it. Because David, if there was a movie that, that came out now about the collapse of our society it's probably due to what um money the rich the rich climate change republicans uh but this one it's that good old-fashioned like crime (laughs) like oh (laughs) super crime is gonna overtake us and drug use that is huh and you're like wait is is, uh is there gonna be uh decriminalization of drugs it's like no they're they're doubling up in fact cops are even more murder happy now oh man Hey, David, before we get into this movie, uh, let's just do a little public service here. Because when, when you type dread into Google, just the title of the movie, D-R-E-D-D, it pops up with these questions that I guess frequently asked about this. And you know what? Just to clear up some confusion, because apparently, according to Google, these questions get asked all the time. Let's just knock them out, right? Because these are the questions people have about this movie. Sure. Okay. Question number one. Is Dread Marvel or DC? It is neither, David. It's actually part of the Harvey universe. That explains why later in the movie, Dread assassinates that giant uh, adult baby diaper duck. You know the, the people that are, uh, are kind of into like diaper play? <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the baby the Huey. Baby Huey yeah, yeah. Yeah. David, why is Dread an 18? What? Well, because he's just so sexy, he goes over 10, I think. He's just, you know, he breaks the scale. All right, so Mac, uh, is Dread a remake of Judge Dread? Shot for shot. Is Dread 2012 a good movie? Shot for shot. There you go. All right, David, that would clear that up. Before we join up with the judges to patrol the streets of Mega City 1, we need to turn ourselves in because we're guilty of friendship. Punishable by six years in the ISO cubes. David Hada, how the hell are you doing? For real this time. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm happy to be locked up with you for eternity, Mac Blake. I've got a project. I've got something very, very exciting going on in my life. I'm I'm sorting out my digital clutter. By that, I mean I've got a lot of uh, streaming services, Mac. I got a lot of apps. And so, you know, when I first got them, you get really excited and you peruse the catalog and you're like, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch this. Save it to my queue. Save it to my list or whatever, you know, to watch later. Mm-hmm. Well, the bills finally come due on this and I've decided this is... This is not good for my my mental well-being to just have this clutter in my life, to have these shows that I've set aside that I'm not going to watch. So I'm setting a hard line and I'm like, I'm going to do these. I'm going to do these in order. So there's no like, because if I keep adding stuff and just watch whatever's most recent, I'll never get You'll it. never get to Small Soldiers, that movie you added back in uh, 2002 or whatever. So yeah. So let's say HBO Max, for example, you know, I've wanted to watch The Righteous Gemstones for years, but it's been buried on my list. I just have to make it through the complete run of Tom Goes to the Mare first. Yeah, wow. (laughs) In order to get ready for the Last of Us premiere, uh, I'm going to have to make it through that Martin Scorsese produced vinyl. So this is... uh, do you have to? Mac, if I don't, what lessons will I have learned? You know, Mm. this is my punishment for doing this to myself. Fair enough, fair enough. So what are you you watching right now? I just finished The Brack Show. There, that's the that tells you where show. I was. Wow. No, when you finished The Brack Show, were you like, well, I never got to watch that again? Yeah. Well, it, it did make me want to watch Aqua Teen, though. Just that same kind of feeling. I was like, all right, we might keep doing this. But Tom Goes to the Mirror came up next, and I was like, all right, I can, I can not skip this one. It's crazy that there used to be a time when you could only watch what was on your TV. I, I long for those days a little bit. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Mac? What's going on in your world? Oh, I'm doing good. I went to a grocery store today, and uh, my little three-year-old dude was with me. 
And his current favorite toy, or one of them right now, is is a Barbie mermaid. Look, Mike, uh, he's real cute. And so everyone's got to talk to him. The woman checking out was like, oh, show me your mermaid. Tell show me about your mermaid. And then the, the bag boy, right? The bagger. He decides to chime in with this. I don't know why. He goes, you know, in the old stories, mermaids used to kill people. And I looked at him and I just was like, God, if lasers came out of my eyes right now, you'd have two holes in your chest because uh, <laughs> I want to shut the fuck up. And I was like, hey, no thanks. And then uh, time to go. And then we kept going. Uh, but what, what, I, what, 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 David? What, what, what? Why? You have to train the feral boy now to react to that. Well, my boy hissed at him. <laughs> Problem solved. David, one more thing I wanted to mention. I was doing some shows with Master Pancake Theater, the uh, Austin's favorite movie mocking group. And somebody was like, hey, Mac, can we get a picture? And I, it's not an impression of that person. I was a little surprised because most of the time when people ask, like, hey, we want to take a picture, I'm holding the camera, right? Mm. But somebody wanted to take a picture with me, David, and it's because they said they're a fan of this podcast. No way. That's great. Yeah. So shout out to Jeremy. It was nice meeting you and your crew. And thank you for listening. Also, sound guy Sean said he's been listening to our, our podcast and he said it's great hearing me and you joke around again. Thank you, Shawnee. I miss you. Oh, my goodness, David. I see the the lights of Mega City One glowing before us. Is it is it time to go in? Charge up your lawgiver, Mac. We're going in. All right, David, what is your history with Dread? Not just this movie, but maybe the character of, of, I think his name is Judgment Dread. As long as I don't have to describe my history with the feeling of Dread, I'm okay. <laughs> this one it has been in my periphery for a while. I've never really, you know, I, I was familiar with the character. I was familiar with 2000 AD. I never read any of them. But I did collect comics in the 90s, so I was familiar with them, especially as a col comics collector who didn't have a lot of money. So instead of buying comics every week or every month, I would just buy the previews catalog and flip through that and, and get familiar with, with titles and characters that way. So that's where I saw Judge Dredd for the first time. Uh, you know, I was never going to order it, but it looked really cool. So I was always very interested. And then they did a crossover back in, I want to say, 91. Mm. DC did with, with Dredd. And it was Dredd versus, uh, versus, it was Dredd and Batman. They did kind of a team up. It was Judgment on Gotham. And I remember really loving that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn more about this Judge Dredd one day and i never bothered with it then the movie comes out in 95 and i'm like i made the right call so i did it just i put it away it sat in a box for a very long time you know just the idea of dread the the movie came out in 2012 did not watch it heard good things about it but just kind of kept it at bay so thankfully this this show came along and forced me to watch it so with that in mind what is what is your relationship mac you know i look i love comic books i for never whatever reason never really got that big into judge dread but i saw this movie when it came out i'm not sure why I went to go see it, maybe just because at that time I was seeing anything like that, like oh, comic book related, I'll see it. Look, did I have I seen the movie uh, Electra? Of course I have, but I thought it was great. And then later, after the fact, I find out that Alex Garland wrote it, and I was like, whoa, hold on, the dude who did Ex Machina wrote this thing? That's interesting. And so you know, ever since then, he's come out with uh, some uh, other good quality stuff, uh, like Annihilation. I thought was great. I thought Devs was interesting. I thought the movie Men was, uh, nobody wanted that. <laughs> Did you see Men? I'm not even familiar with Men. No, it's, it is, it's a horror movie starring uh, Jesse Buckley and she's great, but it is, I don't, I still don't know what to make of that. That was, uh, <laughs> there's some parts of that that I never want to see again. Uh, and then some, I still, I don't get it. If we could do a whole podcast on men and it would just be me stuttering and being like, oh, what was that about? Oddly, this is the most ringing endorsement you could give for men. I think I'm going to watch this right after this recording. It is. Uh, it's weird. It's weird, man. But yeah, I have not seen this movie in a long time and I was excited to get to it because I remember it being pretty solid. All right, David, just a level set before we get into this thing. Can you read the uh, 
like the back of the box description of this movie? Absolutely, I can. The America of the post-apocalyptic future is an irradiated wasteland, a vast, ultra-violent world where criminals control the mean city streets. Ultimate law enforcers like Dredd, Carl Urban Star Trek, and his new partner Anderson, Olivia Thirlby of the Darkest Hour, are judges, the only force battling for justice. Dispatched by the central authority, the judge's target is Mama, Lena Headey, Game of Thrones, a ruthless boss bent on expanding her criminal empire through sales of slow-mo, a dangerous reality-altering drug. With Dredd calling the shots, the two judges declare full-scale war on crime in this unrelenting and brutal three-dimensional thrill ride. 2012, 96 Minutes, directed by Pete Travis, rated R for strong bloody violence, language, drug use, and some sexual content. Right, all for strong bloody violence, in it? Uh, wow, David, that description was like this movie, focused. No, it was lean and tight and ready to go. I liked it. Let's talk a little urban talk, you know what I mean? Carl Urban. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who was that for? Who was that for? Do you like Carl? What, do you like Carl Urban? I don't like Carl Urban, man. Oh, well then this is I love what? him. Everything I've seen him in... I like him, and I think probably the first time I remember seeing him was in Star Trek, where he's playing Bones McCoy, and he was just lights out as Bones, in my estimation. You know, when I saw him in that, I was like, man, I can't wait to see him in other things. Find other things that he's in? Nah, that's all right. But yeah, everything he's in, I, I enjoy him in, and especially, you know, we'll tip this for throughout the episode, but I liked him a lot as Dredd. Yeah, you know, I, I remember that movie Doom came out with The Rock, the, based on the video game, and it was like, Carl Urban, I think, got top billing. And I was like, who the fuck is Carl Urban? Like, I, I took that, I don't know why. Not a, ever a big Doom player, but for some reason, like, The Rock should have been top billing. Like, I was mad about it. You know, he was in Lord of the Rings. Uh, he was Aomer, I believe, is his name, without looking that up. Very good. Five points to you. Thank you. And then also, uh, he was in a movie that maybe we'll get to one day, Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. And so when he popped up in Star Trek, I was like, wait, this beefy dude is playing the doctor, and he was great in that thing. And so, you know, it seemed like, oh, a natural, like, hey, a guy with like a sci-fi star on the rise, maybe he'll make Dread a hit. He sure didn't, at least at the box office. But I don't know. You know, people, I mean, he's great in The Boys, so... There was never a sequel to this thing. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But anyway, yeah. this movie, how do it, has it start? We open on America as an irradiated wasteland, which we hope means that it's said in the future. We, we don't know. From voiceover, we learn about Mega City One, a landmass from Boston to D.C. that has become one giant uninterrupted city. This is going to be 800 million people living in about mm, 440 miles from Boston to D.C. Do the math on that. It's not very big. And this is going to be one giant uninterrupted city walled off from the rest of civilization. Let's hear a little bit of that VO, David. America is an irradiated wasteland. Would you hear, what was the name of the country there? Okay, I'm familiar with America, but this was America? America is an irradiated wasteland. Yeah, he says America here, which, I mean, I know he's, uh, Carl Urban is a New Zealander. And so maybe that was a little bit of that NZ accent coming through. Or maybe, David, that's just what it's called in the future. Maybe America is so tough, you got to add a growl to it. I was assuming that it was going to be some sort of Judge Medea spinoff, that we were going to see Medea come in and she'd be like, hello, welcome to America. Let's start from the start on this one, though, Mac. When the title cards come up, there's one, it's like Reliance Entertainment, and it looks like it's a Walmart sticker. I'm a sucker for these, the production cards at the beginning of movies, especially when you get past like the first couple, and then you see like a third and a fourth and a fifth, and you're like, uh-oh, this movie was in trouble financially. So after that first one, I was like, oh, man, are we going to have to sit through seven of these? Thankfully, it was just two. But that first one, I... I oh, yeah. 
That felt like a, uh, a like a PlayStation, like a like a video game company manufacturer. I just want to feel seen on this one. Yes, thank you. Because it was a, a real cheese ball graphic, and then like a like a you know a, a hot guitar lick coming at your dome. It said like win amp. Yeah, exactly. It really slaps a llama's ass, I guess, on that one. <laughs> We're also introduced to the Hall of Justice and the judges, the future cops who act as a one stop shop for law enforcement, the judicial system, and frowning. We're introduced to Judge Dredd, played by Carl Urban, doing the same Batman voice that everyone has to do, but it's fine. Dredd is in a high-speed pursuit on a supercycle, chasing three perps high on slow-mo, the hot new drug on the street. So this movie starts off hot. We're in the middle of a high-speed chase, but let's talk about slow-mo a little bit because that's going to throw a wrench into things as far as a nonstop action. Mac, let's what, can you describe slow-mo and, and its effects for me, please? Yes, David. It's a future drug, and like its name, uh, when, you, when you, you use it kind of like a, out of an inhaler, it gets you real high and you see the world as like a sparkly thing, but it also, it like slows you down. Apparently you experience time at one hundredth of its actual speed to the point where, you know, later on we see Lena Hetty taking a bath. She moves her hand up and she like see the water droplets and get, gets focused on those. So yeah, that's, I think that's slow-mo. You're absolutely right. And seeing the effects that the movie goes through, you know, seeing the POV of someone on slow-mo, it's very vivid. It's, it's yeah. colorful. And, you know, it's very sharp. Uh, there's like a high definition to it. You know, going back to before we watched this movie, I was hesitant because there wasn't anything for me to latch on to. Like, I didn't know this was written by Alex Garland, mm-hmm. and I certainly didn't know he might have ghost directed it. And so watching it and seeing the the slow-mo feel, seeing the effects and, and, and how that feels, this is absolutely an Alex Garland movie. That's, you know, he's so good with color and he's so good with vivid color. I, I felt comfortable immediately going, okay, I'm about to watch an Alex Garland movie. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting visual effect and the fact that, you know, tied to the this drug use, uh, it's nifty and you'll definitely see it. And then, geez Louise, so they're in the middle of this high-speed chase and we're following, it's a van full of three perps and then Dredd is in pursuit. So we see a POV from the van as it hits this guy at a crosswalk. He's about to cross, he doesn't realize there's a van coming and he splatters on the windshield in a very real way, like... It wasn't, you know, hyper violent. It wasn't, you know, so much that it you were allowed to be taken out of it. No, it felt like I just watched some guy get hit by a van. Yeah, because the shot is just long enough for you, the audience, to definitely see that this van is headed for him. And you're like, okay, they have enough time to turn. They're going to turn. And then they don't. And he smacks against the windshield. Yeah. Oh, God damn. It was a brutal hit. This movie, it does a lot of stuff that kind of 3D movies do, which it throws a lot of stuff at the camera real early on and then kind of forgets about 3D. But there's a bunch of stuff that made me really wish I had seen this movie in 3D. And this is one of them. <laughs> was it like, did I feel like I just hit that dude in the theaters? <laughs> I, mean, I wish I could have seen this in D-Box, right? Oh, man. Then you feel the guy next to you, his head explode. Yeah, That'd be great. That's, that's fucked up. I was, but yeah, you're right. That was a brutal, a brutal hit. And, and it sets the tone for the rest of the movie. So good for them. This chase ends abruptly. It ends in a crash and Dredd pursues the one remaining perp who's, al- who's alive, chases him into a high rise. The perp takes a hostage in the food court which means a showdown with Dread. After six minutes of movie, it's Dread 3, perps nothing. Yes, so we're in a high-rise, and unlike the movie High Rise, I watched more than five minutes of this thing. What, what, do, you, what do you think about these buildings, David? You know, I, having just read High Rise last year, this is very fresh in my mind. The idea of these mega one-stop shop high-rises, it doesn't feel like it's impossible. It, it sort of feels like they're just going to take the domain in Austin one day and just sort of wall it in. It's like, okay, you live here, and you also shop here, and you also... Uh, you'll die here. But yeah, I mean, there there already are these kind of like, 
you know, mega buildings. And I mean, Austin is getting a new one every year. That that part does feel like a, an accurate future forecast. I guess a good analog would be Dobie Mall. You know, back when we were going to college, I know it's changed quite a bit now, or maybe it hasn't. But I remember going to college and the idea of like, oh my God, you live above a shopping center. That's the cool, you could go downstairs to the movies. That's great. And, you know, this kind of had that feel. And in fact, there's even like, there was some signage in the lobby of the high rise where they're advertising a, a hot dog place called Hottie House. And I guess the slogan or maybe the cartoon hot dog is saying, over there, punk. Like He's just directing you to, hey, go over there to get some hot dogs. Uh, just those little touches really make it feel like I'm living in a mall. This is great. Speaking of little touches, when Dredd is, is calling in the condition of the crime scene to uh, Hall of Justice or whatever, he says, multiple wounded and bodies for recyc. I don't know what he meant by recycle, but just that little like, oh, recycle. What the fuck does that mean? I thought that was a cool little sci-fi touch because, yeah, I mean, have we found a way to recycle bodies and no shoes or something? Or, or are we low on organs? Or, or I don't know. But just I love stuff like that where it's just kind of a little glimpse of, uh, oh, what does that mean? You know, I don't have to have everything fucking explained to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It leaves just enough to be like, what could that possibly mean? But it also, again, it makes sense where this movie is so, or, you know, this universe, I guess, that the movie is telling us about is so cynical and uncaring of its populace that, yeah, we'll call them meat wagons when we have, you know, when we need to load up a bunch of cadavers and yeah, we'll send them out for recycle. It's, it's grim, but it's completely effective. So now... Dreads facing off against this perp, and the perp's got the uh, food court worker. You know, he's got a gun to her head. Dreads like, you know, uh, you better let her go, and I might let you live. Uh, he's like, I'll give you life in prison. That's the best plea deal I'll give you. Because again, he's like, he's the judge and lawyer right there. And the guy goes, no. And so the question here is like, oh my gosh, uh, Dreads got this guy. He, this perp has got a victim. Can Dread make the shot? David is Dread a badass. Dread's a fucking badass. He takes the shot, and, and thankfully he's got the lawgiver, which is this amazing gun that carries every single kind of round and ammunition in it. So he says, have it your way, hot shot. And the guy's like, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah, I was very offended by that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which also, you know, it's a little nitpick, I don't mind, but this movie is catching the world in progress, but the people in it act like this is new information. Like, you don't know that these judges will shoot you dead? Like, they're they're very good at their job. But getting back to the hotshot, what he means is he's firing a round that's sort of this uh, incendiary round. It's it, it's an explosive. Shoots it right into the perp's mouth. Blows up the guy's head. Mac. This is my first markout moment. Whoa. Cool. It was it was the movie announcing itself. It was just saying, this is the kind of movie it's going to be. Get ready. And it sure is throughout the movie. Yeah, it was definitely a cool kill. Plus, as you just said, we get sort of introduced to his gun which is a uh, voice activated. You can choose the ammo and that'll come into play later in the film. So since this is our introduction to Carl Urban as Dread, let's get into this look and feel of Carl Urban. What do, what'd you think of the look of him? Well, look, I've seen this movie before and I don't remember having a problem with it, but in this scene, looking at Dread, he looks a little silly. Like the helmet just, I don't know. It, it's really like uh, not flattering on his head. He kind of looks like a Ninja Turtle. Like towards the end of the movie, I completely was used to it. And I thought Dread looked awesome, but right up front, I was like, oh, "It kind of looks like a nerd." Yeah, there is something you know watching this movie, and especially this opening scene where it is very. And we'll get into this in a second. It's very much a dirty, hairy intro. It's very much, "Hey, I'm the badass of this," and I'm watching it with my girlfriend, the bombshell. After a moment, we had this realization: where it's like that's just a dude under there. He's not some mutant. He's not some superhero. He's just a guy from Ohio. This is tremendously silly when you when you think about it. And, you know, I know that's uh, the creator of Dread 
uh, said he never wanted to remove the helmet because he never wanted to humanize the judge, which I get. But at the same time, yeah, it's a uh, it's just a dude. Yeah, I remember I, I read that Carl Urban said he got in really good shape for it. It's like you didn't need to, buddy, because you're under uh, so much padding. This world asks the question, what happens if everybody was influenced by Dirty Harry movies? Because, yeah, Carl Urban or you know, rather Judge Dredd is putting off a very Dirty Harry vibe. And I, do you remember the movie Dirty Harry? Like, when was the last time you saw that one? Oh, it's been a minute for sure. It's funny to think of that movie as like this awesome action movie when really it's about this piece of shit cop. But it did leave such a lasting impression on on the culture and on, on, you know, on everybody where it became this ideal of, yeah, that's a badass cop, you know. So to see the future carry that out and say, hey, be more like Dirty Harry, that's it's it's interesting to me. Well, I mean, Dread in the comics, you know, you mentioned it is very satirical. Like his look is ridiculous and over the top. And this movie, it kind of follows that like Casino Royale, Batman Begins kind of feel where it's like, let's try and make it a little bit more like, grounded, make it seem a little bit more like uh, something that would actually grow out of today's world. I think because of that, you get a little bit more badass Dread instead of a little bit more overtly fascist Dread. But Dredd isn't quite like Dirty Harry, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Back at the Hall of Justice, it's training day. We meet Cassandra Anderson, played by Olivia Thirlby, who grew up close to radiation that thankfully produces attractive mutants. Anderson is being considered for judge despite low assessment scores, but she's got a secret weapon. She's an attractive mutant. That is, Anderson has psychic abilities that the HOJ can exploit because drones and surveillance and a demoralized population isn't enough. Dredd is tasked with supervising Anderson on duty for a day to see if she'll work out. So the scene starts off with... Dread coming in, he's talking to the chief judge, and the chief judge is behind a, a wall of glass, you know, looking at Anderson. The chief judge calls out through the glass to Anderson to answer some questions, and Anderson says, Sir, you know, as a response, uh, the chief judge, in my estimation, was not a sir, so I was like, oh, this is awesome. Finally, a progressive dystopia. You know, we were talking about it a few weeks ago with Pitch Black, where there's still only two genders in the future. Maybe this is a little more loosey-goosey. <laughs> Maybe this is a little more fluid. <laughs> The chief judge reveals that, yes, that Anderson here, or side judge Anderson, is in fact a, uh, a, a psychic abilities. And you get more of a taste of, of Dredd's worldview, because this definitely is a gray world, but Dredd is very black and white. So when, when, uh, when the chief is like, she's got psychic powers, she's the most powerful psychic we've ever seen. Because she's like, uh, what am I thinking? She makes uh, Anderson like show it off. Dredd wasn't like, oh my God, she's psychic. All he said was, she's a mutant. Okay, but it's, it's, uh, she also failed her tests uh, just marginally. So, I mean, you can, you, can bring, you can give her a test. And Dredd's like, it's not marginal, she failed. Like, in case you didn't figure it out by now. But yeah, he's a zealot. Like, the thing with, with Dredd that sets him apart from Dirty Harry, for Dirty Harry, the system is broken. For Dread, it's not broken. People are. He believes in it 100%. He is completely like a uh, follower, a believer in the law. And if you break the law or you don't meet the score, you know, like there's there's obvious consequences. There's no leniency for the most part for Dread. Like he's pretty unbreakable at this point. No, unbendable, excuse me. I think the hippy-dippy in me wanted some sort of moral conflict with this dread. But no, this is just a job to him. And he, and he wants to do the job well. You know, these are the ground rules of what he has to do. And these are, you know, what he has to follow. So yeah, in that way, he's just, you know, I, I think Carl, Carl Urban said it in, uh, in press interviews. He wanted people to think of dread as more like a fireman where he just runs into the blaze like he's just some you know he's a goon who does the job he has to do and i got that 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 made sense to me it, it i don't think he enjoys it i don't think he doesn't enjoy it it is just what he does yeah he definitely doesn't revel in it at any point you know like in today's society where you you get a sense that 
cops are gleefully bending the you know their their role. No, I, Dread takes no glee in this. It's just what he does. So there's an exchange here where the chief judge is, is talking about uh, Dread giving Anderson a, a, a trial here, and she says, "Sink or swim, chuck her in the deep end." And so judge says, "It's all a deep end." That's pretty great. I, that wasn't a mark out moment for me, but like Dread's not a a character who relies on cool lines. He's very matter of fact about stuff. Like even when he has quippy lines or lines that would be considered quips, he's not doing it to be, to be humorous. He's doing it because he thinks it's good advice, but this one is like his best advice is, Hey, it's all the deep end. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. He's not like, it's not a fuck you. He's just, it's like, no, it's it. Everything sucks out there. Like there is no, (laughs) okay, whatever. Dread and Anderson start to talk, and Dread tells her three ways that she can autom- that she can automatically fail her assessment. And I completely forget them already. I should have written them down, but it's going to be you disobey a direct order, you lose your primary weapon. What's the third one? Incorrect sentencing, David, is an automatic fail. So you have to know what sentence goes with what crime. You know, keep this in mind. These are going to be the Gremlins rules for the rest of this movie, the three ways to auto-fail. I mean, pretty good, because the first one basically is trivia. The second one is, are you paying attention to me? And the third one is, are you paying attention? Are you, do you know? Are you fucking around? So yeah, I mean, uh, automatic fails. I, I dig it. Meanwhile, let's meet Mama, played by Lena Headey. I'm gonna have a hard time saying that throughout the movie. The hard time saying Mama? Yeah. It. You know what? Well, let's just get it out of the way right now. It was very hard to hear the first time. I was like, oh, is this movie gonna be that? But Lena Headey makes you very comfortable calling her Mama. I just can't not say mama like uh chance boudreau from hard target <laughs> exactly. whenever i have to say mama or papa I, uh, <laughs> I, I i automatically switch into chance or chance excuse me so yeah we meet mama she's enjoying one of the most amazing baths i've ever seen as we talked about already whatever she's on i want some mac we also learned that mama is running this place because she's asked to rule on a turf war between floors the verdict skin the offenders and throw them off the balcony this is also a triple homicide, which means Dredd and Anderson are off to investigate. Oh, my goodness, David. So right before she throws them off, her one of her chief lieutenants, Kay, when she's like, skin them and, and toss them. And she's real casual about the order to skin, by the way. And so Kay goes, how about we give him a hit of slow-mo? Which, as we've already established, slow-mo th- slows your perception down, which means that if you skin someone or throw them off the balcony, both of those acts will then take forever in that person's yeah. mind. And so what you have here is you you do get to see the full effect of slow-mo, both in the bath that Mama takes, where, she, you know, the water droplets become like frozen crystals in the air. Is that a Frozen lyric? <laughs> frozen fractals all around. I got a kid. But however, David, this killed me. This really, I was like, why didn't I fucking see this in 3D? Because what you get here is right before they're thrown off, you get a point of view shot of them <laughs> taking slow-mo. So a 3D POV drug pipe hit? I've def- like this movie is definitely like, hey, uh, we're bad. <laughs> we're not just uh, showing uh, Doctor Manhattan's dick in your face. It was watching it in 3D, or it just feel that way. We're we're fucking partying is what this movie's doing. This really should have been the way they marketed the movie. Like, see the movie Rolling Stone calls the one with the 3D POV drug pipe hit. Like that's all I needed to know. And so they throw these bodies over, and listener. Uh, Liza with a with an L. This is your wuss warning for this movie. Turn it off, okay? Yeah, sure, you could watch, try to watch around the uh, terrifying or disgusting parts, but it'd be real tricky. So I would say maybe maybe go watch Sea Beast instead, where the, the, the featuring the voice of Carl Urban. When the bodies hit the floor, that is going to be my first JFC <laughs> moment, Mac. That's going to be my Jesus fucking Christ, because it's still 
you know, it's still a shopping center in operation. There's still people in the lobby and there's kids and strollers and uh, everybody's just going to hot dog on a stick. And then you just hear splat and it is this skinned body. Then you see two more. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, just meat bags at this point. I mean, if if a mob boss told me to skin some people, and even if I was a complete psychopath, I don't think I'd be excited about it because it seems like it would take forever. These uh, these bodies hit, and of course we have a lady pushing a baby, make it seem even more terrible. But yeah, it was, it was disgusting. David, we mentioned a couple times, slow-mo the drug. Look, I love a good fake fictional drug, right? I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like RoboCop 2 has Nuke. There's a bunch of like Soma from Brave New World, Soy Sauce from John Dies at the End. The Spice Melange, I think, is a drug probably from Dune. Kick, I think, from New X-Men. And there's others, Drops, Boost, etc. <laughs> the thing about future drugs, David, is that they got to have a cool name. And so, David, look, I thought it might be fun. I pulled some strings, and I, I figured we'd do like a little sampling of some future drugs here. Did you get a, the package of the drugs I mailed you? I haven't gotten anything from me, Mac. In fact, the only thing I got today was this package of caffeine-free Diet Fresca. Yeah, that's the, those are the drugs. I figured just no one would open that, because why would anyone want to want to drink that? Clever girl. Yeah, let me crack this open real quick. Okay, so take that first one right there. Uh, that drug is called Chromo, and it's an inhaler. And if you want to go ahead and just uh, take a hit. It's, again, these are microdoses. Sure. It's- okay. Yeah, you're gonna, there's a head rush, followed by the increased feeling of strength and reduced intelligence like that of a Cro-Magnon person. How does it feel, David? It feel good. Yeah, it gets you real fucked up. Uh, this one's great for your henchmen. Because, you know, it just makes them super strong and they'll do whatever the fuck you say. There is a downside to this one, David, and it's not addicting at all. Yeah, okay, I get that. It was good, but I never want to do that drug again. That's a shame. That's a shame. It's really going to hurt it. I mean, hurt, you know, whoever wants to sell it. Okay, this next drug right here, it's actually contained in a pair of glasses. So just put them on. And and looking through them releases the dose. Oh. There you go. Yeah, I call it uh, shades is what we call this drug. And uh, it gets you real, real high. But there is, a, there is a downside to it, David. Can you figure out what it is? Now, physical side effects, I don't know. But I am very, very high and wearing sunglasses inside. So that might be a problem for the rest of the evening. Yeah. Wearing sunglasses inside makes people feel like real assholes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, I do feel like an asshole. Yeah, yeah. You're just like one of those people that like think they're really good at poker. Just take off your take off the fucking glasses. We're all friends here. You know what I mean? What about this one? This one's kind of attracting my curiosity. It's, it's like one of those like, it's like a stain stick. What is this? Yeah. It's one of those like tubes that people use to pre-treat stains. Actually, David, you're going to want to slam that right into your chest. Oh, okay. <gasps> oh what, what is this? Yeah, so David, how would you describe your feeling right now? I feel like I'm astride a flying ostrich, Mac. This That's is the one. Terrific. Yeah, this, uh, this drug is called Joust, and it does make you feel like you're in the video game Joust, uh, where you are flying an ostrich, fighting against other um, people doing the same thing. The downside to this one is coming down off the drug it's a real, real bummer feeling. People said describe it as uh, the feeling of watching a beloved pet ostrich die. Oh, yeah, that's what that is, all right. In your drug-induced haze, did you have a name for your ostrich? Yeah, Booberry. That's a. Uh, it's better when you don't name them. Okay, David. Last one. Uh, this is kind of like a. It's like a powder, and this one is ingested via your choice of breakfast taco. So whatever you happen to have on hand there. Well, I mean, where am I going to go? Oh, here we go. I got a breakfast taco. Yeah, I'm. I got potato wing and cheese myself, and you just you eat it. You just, it's an edible. Yeah, and how would you, how would you describe that one? This one's very spicy in my mouth. This one's called chorizo. And uh, downside to this one, David, it's not actually a drug. It is just a spicy Mexican sausage. Oh, the spiciest. Yeah, Mm. super spicy. Now, but let me ask you this, David. It is very delicious, but how do your veins feel right now? Salty? Is that a way to describe my veins? It's high in sodium. It's not a good part of your diet. So that's why. This is no good. Well, I mean, there's, there's a limited market for it. 
Anyway, those are some future drugs. Remember, uh, these were all micro doses and not real. So uh, use your future drugs at your own risk, uh, listeners. Anyway, back to the peach trees, which is this giant mega apartment complex. The judges arrive there and they're ready to investigate. Anderson gives us some backstory as to why she wants to be a judge. We also receive a stern warning from the helpful onside medic TJ, played by Diobia Opare. And his message is, don't fuck with the mama clan. Oh, and Dred's like, who is that? But when we first walk into peach trees, you know, Dred's still like teaching Anderson some stuff. And they see a homeless guy. And Dred, you know, he's still training Anderson here. And he points to the vagrant. And he says, Anderson, because he wants her to pass sentence. Anderson says, vagrancy, three weeks in the ISO cubes, but prioritize murders. And Dred agrees. He's like, all right, you better not. He tells the homeless guy, he's like, you better not be here when we get back. And it's little touches like that where I'm like, am I liking this Judge Dredd? Like, you know, he's not this just complete authoritarian. He's not looking to to hand out sentences left and right. Like, he's got a job to do, and he's got a bigger job to do than deal with this guy. I, I, I like stuff like that. I mean, yeah, but he still sucks. Because the, the real thing is, like, <laughs> leave this dude alone. Not like, oh, if you come back, if I come back and you're there, you're going to spend six years in the ISO cubes or whatever. But also when, he, when they're walking in here, he tells Anderson that they only have enough judges to respond to 6% of all crime calls. Uh, what the fuck? That sucks. <laughs> I would get that down to zero, my main man. There's no reason. Let's just mail this one in. Yeah, they should have. I mean, maybe. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll watch the end of the movie. So they have an exchange when they first arrive to the, to the peach tree where Anderson is giving her backstory. She used to grow up in a, in a project like this, and she knows there's good people in here, and she wants to make a difference. And Dredd's response to that, we might even play the clip if we can. Yes, I believe I can make a difference. Admirable. <laughs> Admirable. And again, I get the sense that this version of Dredd does find that admirable. He's not cynical about it. He, you know, I wish you the best at making a difference. We're kind of playing a losing game here, but I think that's admirable. And again, it's another small touch that makes me appreciate this version of the judge. Yeah, because the thing with Dredd is he doesn't, I mean, he is a believer in the law, but he is not a, I mean, I call him a zealot. Maybe that's strong because he's not a fanatic because he doesn't believe that like the world can change. Like he's mm -hmm. not thinking that like, oh, if everyone believed in the law, you know, that's never going to happen. And and Dredd knows it just for, for the proof that like this is a job to him. But he, it is, uh, you know, very black and white. Like, you know, he's not, um, he's not a nice dude. Well, he doesn't think the people are scum. He thinks the world is scum, Mac. There you go. And, and I'm sitting here like, you know, caping for this guy a little bit. But then he walks over to the dead bodies, which are covered in sheets. And dread sheet compassion in this scene. Because, like, he lifts the sheet, takes a look at these mangled bodies, and then just sort of, he doesn't cover the bodies back up. He just throws them, you know, throws the sheets willy-nilly. And there's still people around. There's still onlookers who are just looking at this jello display. And I, I found that very, uh, very funny. Yeah, these, these onlookers love these smashed pumpkin heads that these dudes have. And at some point, the paramedic's like, yeah, I did two people and not this third one. And he's like, I'll have to run his blood through the DNA profiler. If I can figure out which blood is his. All right. Save it for your stand-up back, paramedic. The blood inside him, pal. Sure. There's blood all over the place. Go inside the body. Uh, so helpful medic TJ tells us more about the Mama clan. TJ explains the current power structure of peach trees and how Mama flushed out three rival gangs, the Peyote Kings, the Red Dragons, and the Judged to assume control of the high-rise. The rookie devises a plan. Find out where the gang activity is on level 39 and bring the perps in. I think when these uh, flashback scenes to her, uh, to Mama clearing out the gangs, I think Zombie Boy is in there. Remember that guy? No, I don't. He was a dude who got a like a skull tattooed on his face. 
and like got a shaved, clean head, and uh, so he got a tattoo of a brain on top of his head. He is no longer with us, but he would be cast in movies as a dude who looked like that. Okay. And uh, unless they completely ripped off his look, uncredited appearance by zombie, in case anyone's drinking, playing a weird zombie boy, dead celebrity drinking game, there you go. So we get an explanation as to why she's called Mama. It's short. It's a portmanteau for Madeline Madrigal. Oh, that's less off-putting. As soon as I heard that, all was forgiven. I was like, because it went from, I don't want to fucking call this lady Mama to, oh, okay. Yeah, Mama. I get it. And so we're getting some more story about Mama, how she became who she is now. She was a former sex worker. Uh, she turned on her pimp and she just sort of assumed control of her own life and, and the crime syndicate around her. At one point, they're telling a story about her past and they say she feminized a guy with her teeth and mac that is going to be my second mark out moment i'm a sucker for those moments where someone is giving you secondhand information about someone's like well you know i heard they killed 48 people with a spoon it's like hell yeah so to hear <laughs> she feminized a guy with her teeth that was terrific work on this movie's part yeah, they said that she uh, formerly operated out of the S9 Pleasure District. Let me write that down real quick. Mm-hmm. If in case I'm ever in Mega City, that seems like a fun place to go, S9 Pleasure District. But yes, uh, unfortunately, if people were watching, were hoping for a more decriminalized future. Sorry, because sex work and all drugs are still super illegal and uh, no protection for people who do those things. Sorry. Sorry, future. But yeah, the we do get to meet the other gangs, and we also get a little uh, helpful uh, visual aid here. There's a little infographic, and it's a picture of the peach tree, and it's got a color breakdown of, all right, the red means that this is the red dragons, and then the green means this is the judge. And you see Mama take control through the infographic, and that was very helpful. And then you also see sort of some mugshots of these gang members. You get a look at the Peyote Kings, you get a look at the Red Dragons, and then you get a look at the Judged. And they're wearing sort of, not even helmets, they're not even like mocking the judges, they're wearing like, it's almost wrestling gear. It's a cross between like a luchador and the Monarch's henchmen. And this just tickled me. I love this gang so much. I love a good visual connectivity between gangs. Like the uh, in the movie The Warriors, like the Baseball Furies. What an adorable bunch of hooligans. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. So at, at some point, Dredd takes his finger in one of these piles of goo. And he's like, hey, you know what this is, Anderson? And I was like, no one knows what that is. And she's like, no. And he's like, it's a cold burn from a slow-mo inhaler. And she's like, slow-mo? What's that? And the paramedic filling us all in says, it's a new narcotic. Only just hit the grid, but it's making big waves. Makes the brain feel as if it's time is passing at 1% at normal speed. So there we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the paramedic says that basically, like, she's taken over this entire building. Anderson says, how'd she get away with it? Paramedic, you know how often we get a judge in peach trees? Dread. You've got one now. Which shows you two things. One, yeah, things are grim with the fact that this building, which has how many people? 75,000? Yeah. They never get any fucking police to come there, which... Yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely, uh, it's not new. There's parts of town in major cities that the cops kind of avoid or don't help out. But also... The fact that uh, Dred's like, you got one now. He's not deterred at all by the fact that he just described uh, this uh, reign of terror, this woman who controls this giant building, the, the reign of terror that she's been on. Dred's like, yeah, I don't give a shit. You know, this is the job. I put on the helmet. I never take it off, uh, not even for sex. And then I uh, I go and I, I waste perps. Or I, excuse me, I, I judge perps. I like to think there's like some... Some cynical asshole in the theater with his arms crossed, like talking at the screen, going, you expect me to believe that this judge is going to come in here and undo years of work on Mama's part 
And then watching his eyes get bigger as Dread does throughout the movie, like, wow, he's doing it. Yeah, go get him, Dread. Like, <laughs> this is satisfying to me. I wish there was that cynical movie fan who's like, there's no way Danny Ocean's going to pull off this crazy casino heist. Oh, my God, you'll never believe what happened. Speaking of what happened, Dredd and Anderson raid the apartment of Kay, played by Wood Harris, who will probably be forever known as Avon Barksdale from The Wire. Kay is one of the higher-ups in the Mama Gang. It's an action set piece we'll call Slow Mopium Din Raid. Dredd and Anderson burst in guns a-blazing, taking lives and prisoners. After a quick psychic brain scan, Anderson is 99% sure that Kay is the killer of the high-rise skydivers. But you can't kill a guy at 99%, so we're going downtown. Let's get out of here. All right, I like this scene, uh, David, for a lot of reasons. But before we go in, you know, Dredd uh, is looking at Anderson and he's he's trying to get her ready to basically kick a door. Yeah, he, you know, he's like, "Are you ready?" And she's like, "Yeah, goes, you don't look ready." Uh, and again, you know, he's not being a dick about it. He's not trying to be clever or cute. He's matter of factly saying, "You don't look ready. Get ready." Yeah, because I think earlier in the movie he says one out of every five uh, judges on during their training assessment do not make it and i i feel like dread sees that as an annoyance like <laughs> he's like you know look those are the numbers uh this is only gonna slow me down i got work to do but uh you know he he points out because he says you know i don't think you're ready because you would have noticed that you don't have your helmet on right now you know she doesn't have her, her judge's helmet she says it interferes with my psychic abilities and he has a very fun line where he says uh, i figured a bullet might do that as well very fun so they kick in the door where all these people are doing slow-mo and so they're all seeing, you know, the world slowed down in this, you know, beautiful, very visual, glistening way. And then that's how they're going to die, David, because we get to see these super slow motion bullets ripping through their faces. Again, another scene I would have loved to have seen in 3D because it is fucking disgusting. Oh, that's the best time to watch 3D because there's something about so innocent feeling about 3D movies. You know, you're wearing the big glasses, you're, you know, your mouth is agape, you're waiting to take in this this thing and you just watch some guy's cheek get blown out. That would have been amazing. Uh, this whole sequence, this is going to be my second JFC moment. Jesus fucking Christ, this goddamn shootout. I know, it's really gross. So they blow the door open with an explosive and then you have the weirdest slow motion because you see a guy's stomach and the force of the blast kind of bends his stomach in. And so his like belly is like rippling really quick. And you're just like, this is fucked up. Did, how did they know that stomachs really, did they really blow some people up in slow motion? Chris Nolan probably would have. I don't know if Alex Garland did. Yeah, they should show this in schools. Like, oh man, this is what happens when you explode people. I'm never going to explode people again. Yeah, but you can see the bullet heading towards the dude's face. And then it rips through the cheek in a very graphic way where it's like, okay, that part of the cheek is now open and that hole is never getting fixed. And uh, again, I just would have loved to have seen it in 3D. I'm not a I'm not a big gore head, but look, you you gotta it's, you gotta experience one of life's little wonders, David, which is a a 3D facial exit wound. So Mama learns from her tech guy, some weirdo with camera eyes, played by fucking Domino Gleason. Are you fucking serious? So we learned that the judges have K. Not wanting to risk K giving it up to the cops, Mama devises a plan: take over the security control room and bring down the walls, keeping everyone out while keeping the judges in. Yeah, Domino Gleason in this thing, this is a, I think is the first thing I've ever seen him in. And this dude, I mean, he's very pale in this movie. He's got uh, robo eyes, so his, his pupils are very dilated. He's about as pale as a ginger can be. And he's very striking looking, and he looks kind of like a weird Muppet. And it's just one of those dudes where you're like, oh, this dude looks, looks real weird, and that's why he was cast. And so the fact that he's now, I'd say a pretty reliable leading man if you needed one, Reliable in, in terms of performance and looks is would have been stunning to Mac the first time he had seen this movie. But I only realized later that, of course, it's Brendan Gleeson's kid 
And then that also was like, whoa, what the fuck? This was uh, this was one of those moments where it clicked into place. Like, I've always appreciated Domino Gleason, but knowing that that's him in this movie, I was like, did I just become a Domino Gleason fan? Like, that's that's incredible. I, I credit to him for disappearing into that role. Yeah, he is weird. So they're we're with the judges and Kay. They're in an elevator. They're going down. They're they're getting ready to leave. And there's a very funny moment where Anderson psychics over to Kay and. She says to Dredd, the the purpose thinking about taking your gun. Are you thinking about he's thinking about going for your gun? And so Dredd just responds, Yeah. And then you, you know, have another psychic moment, and then Anderson says, Oh, well, he changed his mind. Yep. <laughs> I, I love it. It's you know, this movie is is very funny without doing too much. So mom is basically in control of this entire housing complex, right? I mean, she doesn't like run it, she doesn't have like an office where she's like, you know, filling out paperwork and reviewing new tenant applications. But she's in charge. She runs the show. I'm sure if she went into the control room, control room would have been like, bitches, leave, like Kerwin Smith and Robocop. Those bitches would have left. Instead, they kill everyone in the security control room, which felt really unnecessary. But then look, the thing about Mama is she loves violence. Like she's mega violent. That's her whole deal. So that was consistent with her, her characterization there. Well, we're going to have a moment coming up where we very clearly see Mama is the type of person who's like, look what you made me do. Like, I had to kill an entire floor of people because, you know, you made me do this. Like, it's, yeah, she's a, she's a cold-blooded bitch. And when the paramedic earlier is talking about Mama and, and how her violent rise to power, one of the clips they show is her gouging a person's eyes out, you know, with her thumbs, which, you know, well, just keep that in your mind because there's more about that later. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to keep that visual in your mind. Just remember that fact. <laughs> I got to hold on to that for another hour? Yeah, I mean, you, David, have to. I mean, but other people don't. So with the war protocol activated and the entire massive peach trees building under lockdown, Mama announces to every resident that they will stay under lockdown until the judges are dead. The residents clear out, leaving the judges to be sitting ducks. While the gangs gear up, the judges and Kay get moving. It's an action set piece we'll call Lockdown Gauntlet, because David, they got to fight their way through this building now. Because when uh, Mama is like, hey, uh, basically orders this building to murder the judges, I would say that they are fucked, David. Yeah, this is, you know, we're, we're setting up the movie. It's like, okay, you're screwed now. Uh, the, you know, the rest of the movie is going to be them trapped in the building and trying to get out. Let's set it up. This is going to start with, uh, there's a quick stair sequence where they've got to make it up uh, past some gang members. And so they decide to throw some some smoke grenades and, and, and smoke, you know, gas everybody out. So they put on these little respirators. I always love, I don't even know if these are real things. I'm going to feel stupid if they're real. But the respirator design where it's just a very simple thing for your mouth and a very simple thing for your nose. Mm. I love it. I always love tiny design innovations like that, even if they don't work, even if they're not real. Uh, I was just very happy to see that respirator design. So after the building gets locked down, Mama jumps on the PA system and she just says, Peach Trees, this is Mama. And the way she says it and just kind of like hangs in the air. There's definitely a coldness that Lena Headey brings this character that is, it's effective. And I mean, on the surface, it seems like kind of an easy villain to portray. And we'll talk a little bit more about Lena Headey uh, in a little bit later. But I, I just want to say, I think Lena Headey does a good job uh, with this character. And definitely, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, it's it's interesting to compare her portraying uh, Mama and also uh, Cersei Lannister. Anyway. She's terrific. You know, like you said, there's a, there's a quality to her where she is very much... Uh, in her drugs, you know, she, you can, you can see her with slow-mo in her system, but she has this building under control in it. And at no point in this movie, do you not believe that? So I think it's, it's a phenomenal performance for her. Yeah. And the coldness of her character, it's kind of paired with this lack of vanity because you, you know, imagine like uh Tony Montana, right? He's got giant mansions or whatever. 
Uh, she does not have any of that because she, you know, she's also like a, a junkie. And so she's got this kind of like junkies focus. But junkie sounds pretty judgy. Uh, she's addicted to slow-mo. And so she has this addict's focus on like, you know, this is all she cares about, expanding her empire, hurting people, and uh, doing some slow-mo. So Dredd and Anderson, they also still have Kay, David, because they were going to take him to the Hall of Justice when the Peachtree's building got locked down. And so they fight their way up the stairs with Kay in tow, and they reach a little moment where they're like hidden or nobody can see them. And a bunch of Peachtree's uh, mama loyalists are pretty much have them surrounded. And Dredd says like, we're going to have to go through them, which, you know, again, just the way he delivers it, it's like, oh, hell yeah. And then <laughs> there's a pause and then Dredd says, Let's give them the good news. And just that like the line of like, yeah, the good news is we're going to fucking kill them. Uh, I thought that was awesome. And that was my first mark out moment <laughs> of this movie because he, he throws out a little like device, which he uh, then, you know, uses to like speak to like attention perpetrator or whatever. But he also uh, it's like a little flash grenade <laughs> and he uses it to like stun them. And then they turn the corner and they waste all these punks. But I just like the let's give them the good news. They were going through them. Because, you know, again, on paper, not to overexplain this, but the idea that these two people are going to have to fight, you know, 20 guys, that's good news for the 20 guys on paper, right? It's the fact that he's like, let's give them the good news that they're about to get murdered. It was about as dry as humor as it gets. And I loved it. It is his one moment throughout the movie. He's been very matter of fact. He's, you know, very, you know, straight shooter. But this is the one time you get the sense that he's like, man, I love my fucking job. And I'm, I'm glad for him. So, Mac, you remember the helpful medic TJ from earlier? He was very helpful, yes. He's not so helpful anymore. Uh, Part of his oath as a medic is to remain neutral, which means he can't let the judges into his lab for safety, I guess. Uh, Time to shift to covert mode. Anderson uses her psychic skills to trick local resident Kathy, played by Nicole Bailey, into letting them in. Kathy directs the judges to a working service elevator on one condition. Take this drama to another floor. Yeah, so the judges are like, hey, doom, 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 let us in the medical facility. And he's like, hey, look, I'm uh, I'm a medical unit. I don't, I don't take sides. And Dred's like, yeah, you are you are taking sides. Yeah, and, and so then TJ says, there are no sides. You're already dead. And buddy, that feels like a side to me. Like, you're like a vegetarian at a barbecue place. You're all sides. What do you, like, just let us in. Why is, he's using this to, for a convenience to himself, you know, because you would think the oath is, I'm neutral. I'll help everyone. His interpretation is, I'm neutral, see you tomorrow. Yeah, although a pretty cool line. And definitely sets the tone. If you, if you weren't there already that they're fucked, uh, you, you definitely get it now. Psychic powers sure do come in handy, David. Yeah, they're standing outside the door. Anderson reaches out with her mind to like pluck a name or you know basically tell the resident inside to let her in. And the resident's like, look, I'll tell you about a secret exit, but just get out of here. Because if you're not on this floor... That means my husband who's out looking for you will not meet you and he won't die either. Of course, using her psychic powers of looking at a picture, Anderson's like, oh, he's that dude we just killed. Uh, I'll keep that information to myself. But they're making a plan and Dred's like, I'm going to go check out uh, ch- check out this direction. And he turns to Anderson and he goes, hey, you might not want to get taken alive. Your call. <laughs> like, basically, <laughs> you know, hey, if I don't come back, you might want to kill yourself. Which again... Very matter of fact from Dread, and he's like, that, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's not compassion. It's just a <laughs> take a tip from a cop who does. <laughs> Don't get taken alive. So Weird Eyes Domino Gleason. In fact, we're going to call him what uh, the credits call him and call him the clan techie from now on. Uh, he's going to locate the judges on level 76 and seals off their escape. 
So Dredd devises a plan to draw fire and Gan Anderson and Kate to safety behind the elevator shaft. Dredd succeeds in drawing the fire of every machine gun in the building in an action set piece we'll call Mega City Minigun Mega Death. So yeah, his plan was uh, devise a way to get out and Mama's plan was uh, devising a way to uh, blow shit up. So they basically, the Mama clan, they mount these mini guns on one side of the apartment aimed, oh, excuse me, one side of the apartment complex and they are aimed at the other side of the complex. And then Mama, pretty good eyes for someone who's pretty far away. She kind of like peeps dread, like peeping around a corner and she just opens fire or, and uh, this sequence, David, was just insane. And this was my second markout moment. Okay. Because to just unload, as soon as they pull out the guns, the Mama clan, the residents on the other side of the building are like, oh, fuck, we need to get out of here. But a lot of them hide. But David, there's no hiding from these things. But just to see like in an apartment building, inside of it, one side unloading on the other side of the same building inside a complex, it just was kind of a crazy visual. It reminded me a little bit of like uh, in the Battle of Minas Tirith and Lord of the Rings, city's defenders started using parts of the city as catapult ammunition. Mm-hmm. Or in Game of Thrones, uh, when they had the Watchers on the Wall attack scene or whatever, they had like a giant blade come out of the wall and like rip it apart. It just was a level of destruction on a scale I was not expecting in this movie. I mean, it was a terrifying visual. I didn't like it in the story because it's scary, but I loved watching it. It's my second markout moment. It's, it's a hard thing to pull off, and this movie pulls it off. You're watching straight-up carnage. There are people in their homes hiding for their safety who are just getting ripped apart by this building-piercing ammunition. You know, you cross-cut over to the miniguns, and you see the pile of ammunition, you know, or the pile of empty shells. And this is fucking fun. The other side of the building ends up looking like Swiss cheese. Like you could see the sunlight coming in through the through the holes in the walls now. They really did a, a superb job making you feel like she is tearing that building apart. And again, you know, it is one of those feelings where it's like, look what you made me deal. All of you people who are getting killed, this is your fault. You didn't catch dread like I told you to. So this is what's going to happen. Man, oh man. Yeah, I mean, if it was in a movie like Godzilla versus King Kong and they start hitting each other with trains, it's like there's so much mega destruction in that movie, you, you don't even notice it. But in this thing, there, there's nothing else like this where they're just like, fuck everything. We don't give a shit that it really stands out. And yeah, it was it was uh, effective. So meanwhile, while this is all going on with Dread and with Mama, Anderson and Kay have made their way to the elevator shaft. They're hiding behind it for safety. And we have a scene between the two of them where Kay sort of tests the boundaries of of the relationship with Anderson, you know, tests her psychic abilities. He starts putting some some sick stuff in his head to to try and shock her. Mac, how did you feel about about this scene? I just thought Kay should shut the fuck up cuz in the scene he goes, uh, sir mutant. I've heard about your kind. Psychics, right? And it's like you don't have heard about this. Shut up. And then yeah, he uh he's like, uh, what am I thinking about right now? And she's like, well, you're picturing a violent sexual liaison between two of us and a pointless attempt to shock me. I'm looking at the script, David. Cool. Good job. The judges and Kay managed to escape by blowing a hole in one of the walls, fleeing some trapped skateboarders. More on that in a minute. The judges are able to call for backup because previously their signals were jammed. But unfortunately, they can't stay still while they wait for help to arrive. Back into the peach trees they go. Dredd tries getting information from Kay, but leaves it up to Anderson and her mind palace instead. Uh, so this is going to be the midpoint of the movie. This is where the judges realize... Hey, wait a second. Why is Mama pursuing us so hard? It, you know, if we had killed Kay, they would have just let us walk out free. The fact that we're trying to get Kay downtown for interrogation, something's up. So this is where they're going to interrogate Kay. The, you know, 
Dredd's going to try to use brute force. So this is where Anderson says, you know what, let me try my way and I'll take over. And she kind of does a mind meld with him and, and breaks his brain to the point where he pees. Mac, this is going to be my third markout moment. I love it when villains pee themselves in fear. <laughs> well, you have all the pee you can drink, David, because he certainly he certainly did that. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was definitely cool. And it was cool to see Anderson sure of her abilities. I mean, because she's a rookie, right? It's her first day on the job. She's a little shaky, maybe to dread, but to criminal scum like Kay, she's not shaky at all. I, I literally like this interrogation scene. One of the reasons is because when they were cutting between Kay and Dredd, the the shot of Dredd only focused on his mouth. Whoever was filming this thing, you know, he's like, look, let's not pretend that we're getting any emotion out of Dredd's visor, right? And the fact that this character famously never takes his helmet off. And so the shot of Kay, his full face, and then the reaction shot of Dredd is just his mouth. I thought it was funny, but also great. I don't know why. It, just, <laughs> it was an awareness of what this movie and character is. And I, it was great. When the opening shots in the movie, when, the, when you first see peach trees, about halfway up this skyscraper, right? And it's like 200 stories. You see that there is an outdoor skate park. So hanging off this building is like, you know, uh, like a couple ramps or whatever. And I was like, well, you know, that's surprising that whoever built this building was like, let's spend the extra money to build an exterior skate park. Like it seemed like, oh, did this person really like skateboarding? Like they... Seems like a big expense to give some skateboarders a pretty cool view where I don't really think they needed it. So once the lockdown happened, these skateboarders were locked outside of the building and we didn't see them again until the hole got uh, blown in the side. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. Whoever built this building didn't like skateboarders. They fucking hated them. Because if you fuck up on this ramp, David, you fall to your death. Like they are. It's like, yeah, I'll build you a skate park. Yeah. Well, this will uh, thin their herd pretty quick. Uh, so yeah, sorry, skateboarders, but you know what? It may just made those that survive are probably pretty badass. Yeah. It feels like a prefab decision that was not thought through. Like, you know, a, a child's play center where it's got a mirror and it's got some things you can spin and it's got some things you can move, but not realizing these pieces can also come off and choke the kid. It's just like, yeah, we'll put a half pipe outside. Well, what if they go over it? I don't care. But yeah, the judges call in back up while in the skate park and the hall of justice is like, can you hold your current position? And Dredd's like, no, because if they come for us, we're hanging off the side of the building. There's nowhere we can go. This is not really a defensible position. We got to go back in. So even though you think they're safe, they are not. That's right. So Dredd decides he has enough to sentence Mama. And by sentence, we mean legally execute. Dredd is so horny for the law that instead of finding somewhere to hide and wait for backup, Dredd wants to take the fight to Mama. But two scared kids get the jump on the judges, which is all the distraction Kay needs to overtake Anderson and escape with her. Again, I love this decision by Dredd, and not just as an action movie fan, but also as an action movie fan. No, but I mean, like, it's it's fitting with his character because uh, Anderson's like, yeah, we could just kind of hide. And Dredd's like, or... But look, he he's he's like, there's justice needs to be carried out here. We can, what, you know, let's not waste time. Let's do this thing. But as an action movie fan, yeah. What do you want him to like? Uh, hide and do these like same sequences again and again or do you want to be like let's go for a fucking kill shot at the queen here and uh i got hyped for it i didn't mark out but i was excited well you know the thing i love about this is it's why the movie makes these odds insurmountable it wants to set the stage for dread to take this all on you know it could it's very easy to be defeated by the six percent clearance rate but judge is like let's make that 6.2 percent and it, it's it makes you want to root for this uh horrible human being yeah you know, anybody fighting against impossible odds, uh, that is what entertainment is, David. 
But meanwhile, the judges did call for backup, and backup has arrived. And meanwhile, there are more judges outside. They're starting to collect. They're trying to get in. And uh, the clan techie is keeping them at bay. He's lying to them, saying, oh, we're, we're doing tests. We're, you know, stand by. I, I love that there's this gaggle of judges collecting outside, trying to get in. But the, the clan techie's like, oh, we, we've got tests. You know, come back later. You know, and and they're just so ineffective. I, I really appreciated that as well. Uh, but yeah, but these kids show up and they got the drop on Dread, and he they're like freeze, and Dread's like why? Why would I ever fucking freeze for you or whatever? <laughs> Kate slips out of his handcuffs or whatever he's being bound with, and he manages while Dread is fucking around with these kids, he managed to abscond with Anderson. She's now in the clutches of the Mama gang, which is bad news for Anderson. In fact, Kay even says it when they're riding up the elevator. He goes, you are so fucked. You know, as much as I didn't like the exchange between Kay and Anderson earlier, it does set up the feeling of, forgive me for saying this, but dread when Kay takes Anderson and gets her into the elevator because you're thinking, oh no, what is going to happen now? So, you know, as much as I didn't like it, I, I got it and it's it's paying off now. It's very effective. It wasn't so much a threat. It was like a promise of rape and murder that Kay was telling Anderson what was going to happen to her. So did you have a palpable sense of dread or were you like, no, I don't think the movie's going to do that. I, I thought the movie wasn't going to do it, but it still played it close to the vest that I didn't know how it was going to execute the stay of execution, mm-hmm. I guess, for, for Anderson. So I was still, I was still engaged. I didn't, I didn't have an answer for this one. So I, you know, it worked very well. I mean, it did stay just at that dread level and, you know, D R E A D, not like uh you know, we didn't like start ripping off clothes or anything like that. So, I mean, because look, we, we've talked about this before. I, I'm, you know, not a fun thing to watch. Sexual violence, not something I'm uh, I'm into as a movie viewer. If we're setting up some dark stakes here, I'm a, I'm a, it's okay to do that. So yeah, I, I thought it was, it didn't bother me that much. This was the closest to the edge you can get while still being a respectable movie. No, they, they handled it quite well. Look, I saw the movie Irreversible and uh, Dry Cried at it. I don't, I don't need to see it again. <laughs> Fun fact, another movie, uh, I, I, for some reason, it took me years to do this, but I, when I finally was like, I'll watch United 93. No actual tears left my face, but I was uh, howling crying at the end of that movie. Fun fact about me. <laughs> I was a husk. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but Kay returns to Mama with Anderson thinking he's some big hero, when in fact, Mama thinks he's the problem. The solution? Make it look like the judges died and busts gone wrong, which means no mutilating Anderson, Okay. The movie's place on the mountain will not go tumbling down after all. Hoorah! Yeah, it, it really, it truly was a relief because, like I said, I didn't know how something was going to come along to save the day. But Mama has this thought: No, let's make it look like they died in a bust gone wrong. That way, the heat isn't on us, and they, you know, we can just walk away from this. That was nice. I was very, very glad to to see that. But again, you know, going back to to Lena Headey, she pulls this off. Uh, a shittier viewer. Might have watched this and thought, well, that's too convenient. I'd really like to see that cop get assaulted. But no, Lena Headey makes this work. You know, there's a logic to it. There, There's a reason for this. And she sells it to to where I'm buying it. The, I just want to give Lena Headey credit. This was a very difficult role to make as good as she did, but she made it really great. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, Lena Headey does not get as many scenes as probably even Kay does in this movie. I, mean, I don't know if that's true, but it, it, she doesn't get a huge chunk of the film. And I think the first time I saw this movie, I I don't know if I thought much of her performance. But after watching Game of Thrones and comparing uh, Cersei Lannister to Mama, you know, they're very similar in that they are, you know, evil kingpin. But the thing with Mama 
is it's basically Cersei Lannister but without ego. Like Lena Headey completely like strips any sort of like just ego out of the character. It's just like this pure driven kind of like focused fucked up evil. Also Lena Headey, you know, she makes a choice to keep the character like very even. Like even though when she's doing like very cruel things, like at some point while the clan techie's trying to convince the judges to leave, Mama is like basically rubbing a knife on his stomach being like, oh, any second you fuck up, I'm going to gut you or something like that. But yeah, there's a real kind of like economy of acting in this character where she doesn't, you know, it's a big villain in a fucking Judge Dredd movie. She could definitely like twirl her mustache if she wanted to and be like, I'll get you Dredd. But she chooses not to do that. And I think it's very effective and an underrated great performance by by Lena Headey. Which, I mean, yeah, David, you're right. I think I was that cynical movie viewer the first time I watched this. Well, I just was like, well, that was a waste of an actor or whatever. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I've gone from being uh, not impressed to being very impressed. So this is also going to be a part where Dredd is setting the stage for his, you know, for his big uh, hero moment. He taps into the intercom. He, he, he hot wires a phone booth and, and taps into the PA. Basically says to everybody at the peach tree, Mama's not the law. I am the law. And it is judgment time. I did not mark out, but I did love that he used these lines. It's pretty, it was pretty cool. Especially after her announcing on the PA system, like, you're fucking dead, judges. Run, hide, it doesn't matter. We're going to be eating your bodies tonight or whatever. But then Dred's like, yeah, in case you people have forgotten, this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. And just like, you know, he's like, Mama is guilty of all these things and she's under the sentence of death. Like, just uh, basically saying like, hey, guess what? I'm still alive and I'm not taking any shit. Which, I mean, look, if you're the resident of the building, you're like, oh, please just kill him already. Oh, my God. She's going to blast apart nine more floors. It's funny you say that. I would have loved a quick cut of just someone in the in their apartment doing like a little fist bump. Like, all right, Dredd's going to come save the day. Like, you know, I want to if I can at least get a sense of relief from the residents of the peach tree, that would make me feel a whole lot better about rooting for Dredd. Yeah, it's hard to root for Dredd because those residents of the peach tree have probably committed some random crime that Judge Dredd's going to throw him in an ISO cube for 25 <laughs> years. But the scene, uh, the little exchange from Dredd, or his, his announcement of the PA, ends with a close-up on his mouth, and he says what? Uh, he says, uh, it's judgment time. Yeah, judgment time. Pretty pretty good. Time for judgment. That would be his, uh, uh, then his music would hit, uh, WWE style or whatever. By God, <laughs> it's a demon from hell. By God, he's stomping mud hole in him and walking and dry. It's Dredd! Uh, Mama traces Dredd's intercom message to the aforementioned phone booth. Not sure what that's doing in the future, but all right. And some goons go to blast whoever is in that phone booth away, presumably Dredd. Turns out Dredd is across the way, ready to set the night on fire. Mama's response? Call 911. Mm, a confusing move, but more about that later. So here we see more of Dredd's uh, lawgiver. Is that the name of his gun? That's right. And, you know, earlier he said uh, hot shot and the gun chook, 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 brought up the hot shot. And here... Dread does something a little different. Yeah, so he sees everybody gathered around the phone booth across the way. They're, you know, ready to, to kill Dread. So he says, incendiary, and shoots off essentially fireworks, but uh, fireworks that will burn you to death. The round explodes. Everyone gets burned up. This is going to be my fourth markout moment. I thought this was so goddamn cool. Yeah, Dread's really laying waste to people in this one. But I do want to, uh, real quick, this isn't even something worth mentioning, but I had to mention it because it drew my attention. Uh, so the group of, of goons who go to the phone booth to, to accost Dread, you see the leader of this group, and it is a guy wearing a very obvious wig. It's like President Camacho level of wig. I don't know what this decision was. It makes me think people wear wigs in the future, but it got my mind racing, so good on you, wig man. 
Some more judges arrive and are able to get into peach trees with no trouble. How convenient for these judges. Uh, you guessed it, though, David. These judges are crooked. Helpful medic TJ arrives to provide helpful information, but Judge Karma gives him the old lead hearing aid. Yeah, so they're like, God, what do we do with this guy? This Judge Shred Mama. And she's like, we do what we're supposed to do. We call 911. And then some more judges roll in, right? And at this point, I, like a complete mark, I, I say, God, what kind of criminal organization is this? They're like, they're making uh, uh, untold millions or billions or whatever in slow-mo. How come they don't have any judges on the payroll? Which, first of all, why am I mad about this? Why am I like, <laughs> I'm like so disgusted? Like, this criminal organization really needs to step it up. But it's so fun. As soon as I said that, these judges show up and reveal themselves to be crooked and on the payroll. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But I really was like, come on, Mama Clan. Like, get some crooked cops on your side. And they, they did. They already had a Mac. 100% because, you know, this movie up until this point does a really good job of of separating the idea of law enforcement in the future with our idea of law enforcement today, where we absolutely know cops are crooked. Cops are, you know, are in it for themselves. Cops aren't there for us. So to watch this movie and have that dawned on me or have this presented to me, I was like, oh, cool. I'm glad we fixed nothing in the future. We can't even at least pay these judges enough to where they're not going to be crooked. Like, you know, to take that and turn it into, man, am I rooting for dread more now because there are crooked cops in this system? Good for you, movie. But yeah, I mean, another example of why Dread is, is not like crooked is because even though when Anderson was like, I'm 99% sure that Kay is the dude who murdered those uh, meat bags, Dread's like, I need you to be 100% sure. Or I can't. Like, even because Dirty Harry would have been like, well, just, you know, suck some lead punk. It's the most disappointing thing about Dread is that he's kind of a simp. He really loves his job. Dread is a fucking asshole. And because of that, when these cops show up, uh, they're like, we'll kill this judge for 100 million credits or, or some big amount. And Mama was like, I thought that number was less. He's like, yeah, well, here's the thing. I know what cop this is, and that's why it's more. Or excuse me, I know what judge this is. So basically, they're like, uh, Dred's hard to kill because he's a fucking asshole. So we, <laughs> we're going to charge more for this uh, hit. But look, great action movie movie here. I fucking love it. Because at this point, we've watched Dred take out the Mama clan for, I don't know how long, like an hour and 20 minutes or whatever we are at this point, probably a little bit less. So where do you go from here? You bring in some more judges, judge versus judge. It's a just let's escalate this thing. Let's keep heightening it. Uh, I love ratcheting up the action here. Great, great move, movie. With Dredd running out of ammo, he runs into Judge Chan. So help has arrived, right? Wrong. Dredd sniffs him out pretty quickly and kills him good. Meanwhile, Kay monologues to Anderson before using her own weapon against her. That's gotta hurt, but not nearly as bad as what happens when someone fails the ID check on Anderson's weapon. So, you know, Kay's been given the order. Go ahead and kill her. And he's he's reveling in it. He's, you know, oh, you thought you had this. You know, I've, I've seen stronger judges than you cower. So, that, you know, don't take it personal. I've always wanted to use one of these lawgivers. So he, he pulls Anderson's lawgiver out, starts to use it against her. But, you know, at the very beginning of the movie, we see that you have to pass an ID check, uh, as Dredd does in the opening sequence. Yeah, the gun has a feature that only the person assigned to that gun can use it. And the fact, I, I was really surprised, like, wait, criminals don't know this? Like, you would have thought this would have been pretty common knowledge, especially if he always wanted to use one of these guns. He might have had a passing interest in it. Exactly. That's It's another one of those, you know, the movie is dropping us in on day 1000 and treating it like it's day one. Mm -hmm. but, but that's fine. It's easily forgivable because it's, it's how we get to this moment where Kay fails the ID check. The gun blows his arm off 
and he drops to his knees. Anderson gets up, gives him a spinning roundhouse to the face. This is going to be my fifth markout moment, Mac. Yeah, you know, some people might say that, like, oh, if the gun pass fails an ID check, maybe it just doesn't work. But no, nah, this is not the future that uh, that uh, you think uh, exists there, hopeful movie viewer. Uh, this is a darker future, and so the gun fucking blows up <laughs> and leaves him a, a stump for, for a hand. But yeah, Anderson gets her comeuppance, and boy, does she ever, because the, the little exclamation mark on the end of that is that roundhouse kick. You know, she wasn't like, oh, fuck, I can't believe that worked. She was like, yeah, no, I, I knew he was going to blow up his, his goddamn hand. I'm psychic. So Anderson escapes, and Mama sends Judge Kaplan after her, and she thinks she's got this thing in the bag. Meanwhile, Dredd finds the slow-mo factory in the building along with the other two judges, so we've got ourselves a showdown. It's an action set piece we'll call Judge Off, and David, this is the final action set piece of the movie as Dredd fins off the other justices, uh, excuse me, the other judges. And there's a little bit of an exchange here, an exchange of ideas almost about between these judges. You know, you know, Dredd is on the side of law and order. He's like, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be crooked. Like, let's just be judges and hand out sentences to poor people. And one of these crooked judges is, is telling him, no, this city is a meat grinder and the judges are turning the handle. And it's like, man, you got to, you got to get another job at that point. Like you can go into teaching, go go work at a at a mall kiosk. If you if that's your attitude, get out of this. Well, he, he doesn't stop there. He's like, we're turning the handle. People go in one end, meat comes out. It's like, yeah, we've heard a metaphor before. We didn't think it was a meat grinder. It's like people come in and they just bring whatever meat they want, and we turn a delicious hamburger. No, we got that you were doing a metaphor. You fucking I was dread kill this guy faster. But dread's like, hey, how much uh, how much does a, a judge get you these days? So Judge Lex goes, it's a million, split four ways. And Dredd, and he just killed a dude. So he's like, split three ways now. And then later on, after he kills a dude, he goes, two-way split. Like, he's just kind of yeah. tracking it down, which, again, very matter of fact, but he's Dredd's a fucking bastard. So there's going to be a moment in this sequence where Dredd is, you know, we've seen him running low on ammo throughout the second and third act to the point where now he's hiding behind a wall in the lab and he's checking the lawgiver. He's, you know, going through his rounds. Yeah, and, and he's empty on everything except one. When he says high X and finds a round and is able to use it on the on the other judges, Mac, this is going to be my sixth markout moment. I love it when, you know, you're going through your options. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? Yeah. And that works and you blow somebody away. I love it every time. Yeah, it was really fun. It was a fun sequence because the him going through the ammo, is, is it's, it's a fun little device, but also... You know, he's got this gun, which has an insane amount of bullets. And in some movies, like, you know, they really don't, it seems like people have a limitless supply of ammunition. So the fact that you get like, oh, no, it's limited. Like, it's kind of a way of showing the like, no, he, he is kind of up against it now. But then revealing that he does have a fucking ace up his sleeve. It, yeah, it was fun. It was a cool moment. But then something that I did not expect to happen, Dredd gets shot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, he's going to take an armor piercing shot to the vitals. And surely he's done for. But Anderson arrives in time to save his ass. He's hurt, but nothing his utility belt can't cure, which is very cool. Uh, and hey, look at that. Dredd has a bunch of ammo again. How about that? So let's go take out Mama. Anderson gets the access code from Mama's secret hideout from the clan techie and then lets him go. I thought that was a very nice scene. You know, I, I think this whole sequence is very cool. This is the moment where, you know, they're getting ready to go confront Mama once and for all. And Dredd remarks to Anderson. He says, you look ready which is the most touching he'll get in this movie. Yeah. But I do like that he made that made it there. You know, one knock against Carl Urban playing Judge Dredd is he may not have the chin for it. Because the problem with uh, Carl Urban, he's too handsome, right? Uh, he's not like a, uh, he does have a freakishly large chin, which is kind of what you would almost expect from someone playing Judge Dredd. But this scene, 
where Lex the judge is like goading over Dredd because he's about to kill Dredd. Dredd's like, wait. He's like, wait, hold on. You're telling me to wait? You're acting like a total bitch who hates dying. What a fucking stupid idiot telling me to wait. And Dredd's like, yeah, I wanted you to wait so Anderson could shoot you. And then, you know, she shoots him. Or I think she shoots him before he delivers that line. But the frown he is giving Judge Dredd, just the frown, it's like a perfect little like frown. It really does look like the visual creator of Judge Dredd, Carlos Escara. It just looks like a drawing of his. Like I, Carl Urban is really selling this Judge Dredd-esque frown. And I, I, I was cool. I was happy to see it. It is a straight up like like a child pouting. Like you're not allowed to go to the go-kart track. It is like straight down emoji style. I I loved it the entire movie. Yeah, it, it is funny because he does realize he knows the assignment. He's like, you're not gonna see my eyes in this. So might as well just frown the fuck out of this scene. But then on the opposite side of that, so that uh Judge Lex is gonna be uh played by Langley Kirkwood. And as he's monologuing to Dredd before he shoots him, the mouth acting he's doing, it's so <laughs> over-emoting. Like, I almost, I, I almost do want to play the clip of this. I expected more of you. I mean, wait for what? Wait for me to change my mind? Wait for another two or three seconds of life because you're so fucking weak. You just can't stand to see it end? Just picture... Like the most clutch cargo, Conan O'Brien, like, hi, everybody. I'm talking like the, it's it's amazing. And so when they when they meet up with the clan techie, Side Judge Anderson uses her psychic powers. And what she sees is, do you remember that thing I told you to keep in your mind, David? The shot of Mama gouging some dude's eyes out? That was the clan techie. The reason why he's got robo eyes is because Mama gouged out his his previous eyes, his original eyes. And that's why he's got the rope. And that's why he like works for her. He's not a perp. He's a victim, as Anderson says. Even though Judge Dredd is reluctant to let him go, uh, they do. This is Anderson's decision. She tells Dredd, like you, like you said, you know, he's not a perp. He's a victim. And, you know, she says to Dredd, look, I've already failed. I lost my primary weapon. That was one of the three gremlins rules. So the assessment is pretty much over, but I'm still on it. So I'm still allowed to dole out justice as I see fit. And this is how I'm going to do it. And this is the moment for Olivia Thirlby to rule in this movie. This is her moment of growth. She finally has become a judge in her own right. I thought she was terrific in this movie as well. We haven't given her enough credit, but just she's captivating on screen. She pulls off a very difficult role and you're rooting for her by the end. I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I had to warm up to her performance a little bit because just in the beginning, you know, she's a little stiff because she's on a job interview and we're all stiff on job interviews unless you're some fucking psychopath. But, you know, she was giving dialogue like, yes, sir, uh, I love justice or whatever. But yeah, she's she seems almost like a little too sweet for the role. But that's kind of the point is that Dredd is just this fascist iceberg. And so she has to be <laughs> this warm character. And, uh, you know, don't mistake her warmth for uh, not being very capable at her job, because as uh, the movie shows us that she's quite good at being a murder cop. So the judges make their way to Mama, who has rigged herself up with some insurance. It's going to be a pulse monitor that activates a building-destroying explosive charge if her heart stops. Dredd has a thought. What's the signal strength on a device like that? Let's find out. So a snoot full of slow-mo and a 200-story drop later, and we have our answer. The building is safe, and the rats have some more street pizza. Mm, pizza rat. <laughs> Eat it up. David, what do you think about Because this is basically like the ending of, of the movie. This is the culmination of everything, and man, does it pay off, you know. It sold me on the idea of, Mac, if this is a way to go, I think I might want to go this way. Like, just pump me full of, of a drug that slows everything down and just let me drop 200 stories. I, um, This was awesome. The impact shot, you know, because 
we've seen a lot of gore. We've seen a lot of carnage. And it's been done pretty pretty beautifully, actually, if I'm being honest, throughout the movie. So I was curious, how are they going to pull this one off? And And how they do it is you basically see it from the POV of the ground. You see Lena Headey, uh, you see Mama's uh, head hit, and blood just sort of oozes out. I, I thought it was a it, it was the perfect punctuation to well-handled carnage throughout the movie. Yeah, at first I was like, is this ending anticlimactic? I, I don't know, because you know they finally get to Mama, she's the big boss, and she thinks she's got this trump card with the explosive. And Dredd's like, yeah, I think, uh, let's, let's uh, see if I just throw you off the fucking building if that happens. But pumping her full of slow-mo, we do get this like slow motion death and it makes sense in story. So she's falling 200 stories. So instead of her death and her mind being over very quick, she now has a long time to come to terms with the fact that she's going to die and also is high during it. So yeah, maybe not. She gets to live longer. And she gets to be super high when she dies. So I think, is this compassion from Dread or a fuck you? Hard to say. I don't know if it's anticlimactic or not, but it is the perfect ending. Like it had to happen like this, especially when that's the reason why they're called out there in the first place. The fact that some people were murdered and thrown off of uh, basically like the same height. And yeah, that final shot of her face hitting essentially like a pane of glass is kind of what we see it. Melting, smushing into a flat pancake is uh, effective. It turns just entirely red pretty fast, so it's not as disgusting as it could be, and I appreciate that. But the doors to the peach trees, apartment complex slash mega complex, whatever, they finally reopen, and Anderson's assessment is over. Assuming she failed the assessment because she lost her primary weapon, Anderson hands Dredd her badge. But there's a shift in Dredd's absolutist soul. He gives Anderson a passing grade. Welcome to the murder police, kid! So, David, when they make it to safety... Dredd and Anderson. Dredd looks over at Anderson and he goes, so about your assessment. And Anderson's like, yeah, I know I failed. Here's my badge and leaves. And you see Dredd like looking at the badge and kind of considering it there. Do you think he was going to fail her in that moment? My first thought is no. I think he knew from her growth moment that he was going to pass her. I think he saw it in her and he was going to give her a passing grade. However, she's a psychic, Mac. (laughs) Like, shouldn't she have known what he was going to decide and been on board with this? Or is this her opportunity to be like, well, you can't fire me, I quit, which I completely understand. I mean, I think she was not reaching out with her psychic abilities in that mind. And plus, she also said that the helmet uh, you know, bothers her psychic abilities or whatever. And so the fact that Dredd was still wearing his, maybe it muted them a little bit. Mm. I don't know if he was going to fail her or pass her. I want to say he was going to pass her. But the fact that she was black and white enough to be like, no, I failed the assessment. I'm not worthy enough of being a, a judge. I think that impressed the fuck out of Judge Dredd. I think at that moment, he's like, God, what the fuck? What do I believe anymore? <laughs> so Alex Garland, who wrote this, was talking about, he was uh, John Wagner, the guy who, who, original creator of Judge Dredd. He says, what John Wagner does in the comic is to have Dredd evolve in a way that a glacier moves. You look at it a year later and something actually has shifted. I tried to be true to that. So the fact that his character arc, he went from being like, you know, absolutely not, this person shouldn't be a judge, to being, yeah, okay. It's again, like, it seems like the least he could do. But for this character who, you know, it just was all in on this belief that this is the law, you don't fucking break it uh, or face the consequences. The fact that he, you know, was able to bend that for this character, for for Dread, it was a significant shift. So, and yeah, it does, if that's the intent of the character, then uh, they pulled it off. So yeah, a cool ending and I wish there was more of the movie. But that, David, is the end of Dread. 
All right, David, how many markout moments did you have? How many moms in this movie? I had a, a very impressive six mamas. Uh, how, how many did you have? I only had two, which I have had uh, more markout moments for some lesser films. So again, just because I didn't mark out as much does not mean I did not love it. David, now we have to ask an important question. Is this someone's favorite movie? I think so. I hope so. You know, with these with these more recent movies, with these 21st century releases, I get the impression more and more that these are the movies for gamers. This is very, you know, going back to Pitch Black a few weeks ago, this is very mission based. Mm-hmm. This is very, you know, here's exp- you know, here's a cutscene, here's a battle, here's a cutscene, here's a battle. Uh, and they've, you know, they perfected the recipe with this one. They got it right. I, I-, I can definitely see uh, gamers gravitating toward this one. Yeah, this is definitely played by some video game rules. I mean, the fact that they had levels and it was, you know, uh, it was right there. Uh, yeah, I don't know if this is someone's favorite movie. I mean, I don't know, maybe Dread fans, but then it, it differs from the comic book enough to where I'm sure they liked it, but maybe, I don't know if it was their favorite movie. It's hard to say. All right, David, punch ups. David, we're the ultimate movie doctors. How do we, everyone knows that. How would you punch this thing up? How'd you make it better? Well, you know, my first note, and, and God forgive me, uh, horny up this dread. Okay. You know, uh, going back to to the conversation we had uh, in the inventory, where I just I like I want horny movies, and <laughs> it, well, well, God help me for saying this. There's something tremendously sexy about this version of dread. I think Carl Urban is just you know he he smolders on screen. Well, you know what? I had this thought actually because you know part of dread's lore or you know part of you know the way he's made up in the comics is that he doesn't take off his mask like we've talked about or he doesn't take off his helmet so that we never get a human side of him and that's fine and i get that but i think you can there's an opportunity to have a middle ground there almost a judge dread port of call new orleans where we see the toll that the job takes on him to where he has to resort to some drugs or he has to resort to a release you know whether it's anonymous sex or something like that hell even take it a step further let's let's have a separate life of judge dread and then ned nerdleman you know when he takes off the helmet it's like you know you have to you have to balance this person who is a home and family man with this guy who is just uh death personified i i i think there's something there i don't know how to shape it but i'd like to see something like that he takes off the helmet it's vin diesel it's dominic toretto the fast and furious gang he loves racing cars vroom, vroom, vroom. my second thing you know I, like I said at the top of the show, I was nervous because I was I didn't know how I was going to weigh the the message of this movie or the themes of this movie. It turns out, for the most part, it felt like this movie was devoid of that, or maybe not devoid of that, but it wasn't something you needed to bring to the movie in order to enjoy it. You know, it wasn't a, an overtly message movie. With that said, I could go for a little social commentary as a treat. Like, how do you as the movie maker feel about a dystopian future where where dreads exist? Because I get the balance there where you have to make this a likable character for a 96 minute runtime and you have to make uh, the journey something we want to follow. But at the same time, can't you say something to to prevent us from uh, from reaching this future? I, I just, you know, use your platform, I, I guess. Yeah, no, there was no statement in the movie where it's like, hey, this system of law enforcement sucks. Like nobody. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It was more just like, hey, this is what it is. Let's Let's see what happens. Uh, this is a very specific punch up, David. But at some point in the movie, you see a piece of graffiti. And the graffiti says, Tyler suck, and then just S-U. And in my head, I was like, oh, did somebody write Tyler sucks? And then they got shot or something by Tyler? But you don't know that, David, because there's no... I This is a very small, specific punch-up. 
just had a blood stain or like a chalk body outline right by suh so to get the idea that tyler blew that guy away this is the nittiest of pickiest stuff but i i gotta say i was i don't know why maybe i paused it right there or something well you know there's something to that because you know knowing as little about the comic as I do, I know that there is no cursing or swearing in this universe where it's a, it's a ticketable or, or uh, imprisonable offense. So like, you'll notice a lot of the, the graffiti in the movie is taken from the comic where it's like made up words. Cause they're not allowed to use fucking shit. And you know, you know, curse words. So yeah, I think like Tyler Sutton and then a bloodstain, like, Hey, did Tyler get him or did a judge get him? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. Another punch up as I let's punch up a fucking sequel. God damn it. So apparently this movie did not make enough math to uh, make a sequel, but then there's been talk of it like, you know, continuing on as a Netflix series forever. But I mean, at this point, what, it's 11 years later, I'm not holding my breath anymore. Thank God that was really hard. Uh, but yeah, it, it sucks that uh, we didn't get to see more of the adventures of of Alex Garland's and Carl Urban's uh, and uh, Olivia Thirlby's Judge Dredd, Judge Dreddiverse. Well, you know, it, it's funny because I remember when the original Judge Dredd came out in 1995. Okay, well, let me let me start from the start on this one. So going along with the few things I know about the comic book, I also know that Judge Dredd's main villain is a character called Judge Death, who was a judge a little more extreme than Judge Dredd. He, he enjoyed being a judge. He enjoyed uh, dispensing punishment. And so he sells his soul. He becomes this sort of undead entity so it's death personified and you can't kill him. And I remember when the 1995 movie came out and they asked Stallone, hey, are you going to use Judge Death? And he was like, well, we want to save that for the sequel. And of course, the movie bombed, so they never had a sequel. So I thought at least going into this movie, you'd see a teaser for Judge Death. You'd see some mention of Judge Death. Nothing at all. I sure would like to see Judge Death at some point. I mean, that's tricky because, you know, this I, this movie opted for that kind of, you know, like I said, more of a quote unquote grounded feel. and you know, Judge Death is definitely a, a bit more of a fantastical character. So yeah, it would not seem, you know, it's like Batmite showing up in the um, <laughs> Chris Nolan movies. It probably ain't going to happen. All right, David, let's walk into the uh, Punch Mountain video store here in, in Mega City One. Okay, David, this is an all action movie video store and we have three copies of the movie Dread. What subsections of action would you stock this movie in? Okay, the first one is going to go into the, you're right, we don't have a better name for this, uh, IP, intellectual property. You know, uh, I guess this could be a franchise. You know, there's been more than one, but this is going to be a property that someone's going to come to from another source material. Mm -hmm. So however we want to call that. A gonzo action, put it behind the beaded curtain. This is intense. This is graphic. This is everything you want in in a gory, bloody action movie. And holding true to form, I've got two that I feel great about and, and one that I don't feel great. This could go one of two ways, and I'm gonna present them to you, Mac, if that's all right. Sure. So my first thought for the for the third copy is gonna be crime action. Like there's gonna be a lot of, I assume, police stories, a lot of crime tales, you know, that sort of thing. So this could go there. Or this could go in multiplex action. This is a this is a Saturday night movie. This is a nine o'clock movie that ends at ten forty-five, and we're out at the bars and we're talking about this movie. Mm, it doesn't really feel like multiplex action to me. But I mean, okay, it is three D. It's a little bit of a spectacle. Go with your gut, David. Crime action, it is. <laughs> Let's do that. I would uh, stock. Maybe if we had are any of these discs in three D? If so, I'd put them in that section. But I don't think they are. I would go ahead, uh, I'd put a section called dystopias for dystopian action. But David, that, that section would be right next to a window so you could look outside of this fucking terrible world we currently live in as well. <laughs> so who are we to judge about dystopias? Oh, David, speaking of judgments, it is now judgment day for this movie because we have to determine its place 
on Punch Mountain, the definitive ranking of action movies. And by determine, I mean reveal. David, let me ask you, where would you put this movie? And let me remind people the current top three, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, and the bottom one is Chappie. <laughs> uh, this is going to go somewhere in the upper middle. This isn't going to break the top three. I would probably put it hard target adjacent, either above or below. I think it's it's a rip-roaring action movie. It's flawed. It you know it could do a little more, but it's stellar. I, you know I, I liked it a heck of a lot. I could see it somewhere near the top. Yeah, it is a great action movie, but at the same time, its action sequences they're not quite as dazzling as some of the higher ups. I mean, it dazzles in different ways, like the uh, the slow mo effects and you know people being thrown off of buildings in in weird ways, etc. Well, weird ways. I just one, it's just thrown off. <laughs> How do you do yeah, that? I, I don't know. But uh, it's definitely a great movie and a lot of fun. David, the rocks are starting to fall off the mountain there, and the golden letters are shining, and in the position of dread is revealed. It is between Hard Target and The Rock. So the current rankings, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Raid 2, The Matrix, Prey, Hard Target, Dread, The Rock, Cliffhanger, The Driver, Pitch Black, Charlie's Angels 2019, Pastor 57, Deadly Prey, the Poseidon Adventure, and Chappie. This is the last episode where I read all of them. From now on, I'm going to give it number position out of the current numbers. <laughs> Scan a QR code and read the fucking thing. We're done with yeah. this. Uh, that's surprising, David. It's surpri- I mean, I could easily see it personally putting it above hard target, but the mountain has spoken. David, do you hear that uh, horn? Oh, I do. That's the horn calling us to action. Uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting the Southern Poverty Law Center. Led by a strong team of civil rights lawyers, the SPLC is a catalyst for racial justice in the South and beyond, working in partnership with communities to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, and advance the human rights of all people. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation, up to a certain amount, obviously, in case any bots are out there waiting to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on the Southern Poverty Law Center or to donate directly to them, visit splcenter.org. Oh, speaking of David, we got a couple reviews right here. I do not think we've read these before. If I have, please forgive me for being this self-serving. But Isaac said, great podcast, no notes. Great podcast, more mountains should get punched. I think he left a review before, but he might have left another review. Isaac, well played. Here's another review from Lisa in Austin, who says, all the stars. And Lisa says, so much fun. I rolled in with the Poseidon Adventure episode and loved every minute. Mac and David are not only hilarious but insightful. I'm lolling, but also learning about film narrative concepts as we go. This is highly entertaining and just an easy, fun listen. My partner and I now have our work cut out for us to go watch the other movies one by one so I can listen to David and Mac talk about them after. Thank you. Oh, my goodness, Lisa. More. More of that praise. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you. Also, please don't... Maybe David. He's studied Phil. I have, don't rely on me for narrative concepts because I'm like, oh, it's the part where the bad guy goes boom, boom, kick, kick. <laughs> but no, that's very awesome. And and yeah, it maybe you get turned on some new movies or maybe like what happened to us. You know, you've seen a movie like Terminator 2. You've definitely seen before. But watching it again, I, I got a new appreciation for it. So it's definitely a fun podcast and I'm, for me. And I'm glad that other people are having fun as well. Same here. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Punch Mountain. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week from 2022 and directed by S.S. Rajamuli, we're watching RRR. You looking forward to that one, Mac? I sure am. 
All right, then we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.